As we come to the scripture now, let me, let me pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word. It's life to us. How else would we know in these days of Jesus, lest your word speaks to us of him and your spirit brings him up close and personal and enables us to see him and are with spiritual eyes and, and to really believe. And so now we pray that we would come to your word in such a way that it would reveal to us Jesus and it would give to us life and renewed life. And this we pray <clears throat> in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Psalm 116 should be before you in your bulletins, or you can open your Bible to that, or a device that has the Bible, but uh, Psalm 116, this is the word of the Lord. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol lay hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called in the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You've loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And then together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The question this morning is what's this psalmist's story? In other words, what does he tell us about his life? Uh, what does he tell us about his life as a man who's in covenant with God? And then, how does this inform our lives? So what's, what's his, his story? Well, we can see it uh, particularly uh, in, verse, in verse 3. We realize that he has, has this traumatic experience of near death. He says, the snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Now, we don't know what the cause of that was, whether it was sickness, disease, illness, accident. We, we don't know if it was those who were persecuting him, coming against him, or threatening his life around him, as oftentimes took place in the lives of various psalmists. So, so we don't know, but we do know that he really, really, really was convinced that he was going to die. And he had absolutely, positively, no hope that he simply knew that he was going to die. And then if you look in uh, uh, verse uh, 10, he says, I believed 
even when I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. And so we don't know if, if it were these liars against him that were plotting his death. Or we don't know that in addition to being close to death uh, and convinced that he would die, that he also suffered this mental, emotional anguish of realizing he couldn't trust anyone. And, and, and every man was a liar. And he perhaps even had those who had lied against him. And thus he had great despair. Maybe it was their lies that that brought others against him. Maybe it was their lies that brought them against him uh, to seek to kill him. We we don't know. But but all that is going on in his life. So we have the sense of death upon him and also this sense of being betrayed by by others. And and so notice his response, verse 4. It says, Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. So he realized his only hope really was God. And so he went to God and he prayed. And then we realized that God did, in fact, deliver him. Notice verse 8. It says, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of of the living. You see, he really was, God really then did indeed uh, deliver him. Now notice about this deliverance. He realized that he was delivered from death, delivered from these liars, not because of anything that he himself could do. He called out to the Lord. He realized that he was hopeless in this situation, that he was helpless in this situation. He gives himself no credit Uh, in any of this. He was in the grip of death, in the grip of despair. In in fact, I find verse 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11, strangely comforting. He said, I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. He said, even at this point of despair, when I was greatly afflicted, He said, I still believed. (laughs) You feel like that? Do you know that? In your own difficulties and despair and even fear, still you know you believe. Why? Because you're crying out to God. Remember years ago, Karen was on the beach when we were doing youth ministry way back when we were, this was a while ago. And we were in Tallahassee, Florida. She was on the beach with a young Teenager who happened to be the daughter of the pastor of the church is always dangerous, you know. And it's probably two o'clock in the morning because that's the only time kids actually think about anything. And so uh, she was there and she was struggling with believing in God. She said she didn't believe in God. And then as the conversation turned, she began to cry out to God. And Karen quietly but firmly said, Who are you crying out to? The one in whom you don't believe? And so often we find ourselves there. I believed even when I spoke, oh, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless. I said in my alarm, I can't trust anyone, they all lie against me. But whatever it is for you, it resonates. I believe, but help my unbelief. The one commentator puts it like this, he says, so the author makes a point which his fellow psalmist often illustrates that to feel crushed or disillusioned And to say so, even in the wild tones of panic, that is alarm, is no proof that faith is dead. 
It may even vouch for its survival as pain betokens life. Indeed, as pain cries out for healing, trouble, frankly, faced, cries out to God. Trouble, frankly, faced, cries out to God. He knew he had no hope. He, he referred to himself as simple, and simple as the, as the writer of Proverbs uh, speaks of one who is simple, that is confused, that is gullible, that is, lacks wisdom, that is, finds himself or herself in trouble and, and has no way to get out of that trouble. And he said, that's how I am. I'm indeed one who is simple. He, he, he's brought low. He describes God as gracious, the one who gives this gift that can't be earned as righteous, this one who's faithful to his promises. That's why he was delivered, because God had promised to deliver his people. And so he cried out to God, and God was righteous. God was faithful. So that has nothing to do with anything that I could do. He describes God as merciful, this one who sees me in my misery and can't not come and help me because I belong to him. But then notice verse 12. He says, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits. And then verse 14, I will pay my vows in the presence of his people. In verse 18, I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. What's up with that? I mean, if we think about grace as, as being a gift that's given, why is he talking about what he must render now to the Lord? What he must pay in his vow? I mean, if grace is really grace, if it's really free, if it's really given, if it's really unmerited, is there nothing I can do for it? Then, then what's he talking about rendering to the Lord or, or paying this vow? What's up with that? Uh, is grace like a mortgage? I mean, it's generous, but then you have to pay it back? No, no, it isn't that. We, we know it isn't like a mortgage. It isn't like that at all. For that would negate the whole idea, concept of of grace and it, it isn't like we bargain with God we say God if 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 I do this if you do this for me then then I'll do this for you God's God he doesn't need anything what could you actually give him he's fine the way he is he's perfectly content he's God he doesn't need to bargain with any, anyone. If he wants to get something out of you, he can. Because he's God. He doesn't negotiate with terrorists. Right? He's, he's God. He doesn't need to do that. But still, what shall I uh, render? What shall I pay these vows? And Well, if you go back into the Old Covenant and you, you read in 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 Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you find that <clears throat> there's an offering that's given that's called a peace offering. And, and this was a little different than the other sacrifices. First, it was an offering where the, the, the offerer got to participate in eating the sacrifice. Because it was peace, peace with God's people, peace with God. And, and often these were spontaneous. These were, these were um, uh, called thanksgiving offerings or votive or vow offerings, or even free will offerings. That always unsettles Calvinists. A free will offering, you see. That means spontaneous. Uh, uh, something great has happened in my life, and I can't not come to God and give him thanks. That's the vow. 
That's the value, see, that he's paying. That's what he's rendering. He's rendering as he puts it, where in verse uh, 17, he says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. See, that's the vow. See, see, when good happens, uh, we can't not, not share it with someone. You know that. I don't know about it in your life, but something good happens to me during the day. It doesn't really... It isn't really complete until I get to share it with Karen. You know, something good happens in the day, and, and it's, you know, texting is wonderful for that. Like, it's just something good. I can just shoot it right to her. And when I know she knows something good has happened, it, it's, it kind of brings it to completion. Well, in, 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 in this case, and in all cases, ultimately, it's, it's when we finally can share it with God and we can praise him. And, and this is a public thing. He, he does it in the presence of, of his people. This is in the midst of the temple. This is in the midst of the courts of the Lord. Uh, this is in the midst of the presence of his people. And so he's saying, this is what's happened to me. This is really good. And I've come to pay my vow. What's that vow? Well, it isn't that I owe God anything, but erupting out of me is this offering of thanksgiving. See, grace, if it's really grace, and we really understand it and receive it as grace, always leads to gratitude. In fact, it's even in the language. Grace is charis. Thanksgiving is Eucharistia, or Eucharistos, or Eucharistio. You hear charis in the midst of that. The first is grace, the second is grateful, thanksgiving. And so when we really do receive something of grace, something we desperately need, something we'll die without, something that we can't live unless we have it, but we know we can't get it for ourselves, and it's given to us, all we can do with that is say thank you. And that's what he's saying. That's my vow. That's what I'm rendering. I'm rendering this offer of the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I'm saying thank you. Why? Because I really realized that this was grace. I was going to die and didn't. I was in great despair. And now as he puts it in verse 7, I can say to my soul, be at peace, be at rest, you see. He says, that's true for me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully, bountifully with you. But notice this. But notice this. That in his gratitude, it leads him to a particular way of life. Because you see, when we receive grace from the Lord... Our gratitude isn't to say, thanks so much for what you've given to me. We're good now. Uh, I promise I won't ask for anything else because this was so great. I won't ask you for anything else. That isn't how the psalmist responds. That isn't how we're supposed to respond. The psalmist responds by saying, you answered my prayer and I'm so grateful. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you for more because I'm still needy. Notice verse 1 and 2, how he puts it. He said, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. You want to know how God knows that we're thankful that he hears our prayers? He knows that we're thankful that he hears our prayers 
because we pray. That's how always it is with, with a, real, a real gift of grace that we take it and we use it. For instance, if I, um, if I give you, if you always wanted a watch, I know people don't wear watches anymore. I just happen to be looking at this one. Karen actually gave this to me when I was ordained 30 million years ago. So it still works. So there you go. When it stops, I'll retire. But as you say, you always wanted one. And, and so someone, and, and you can't afford it. You can't buy one. And so someone knows that about you. And so they give you a watch. How do you say thank you? How do you repay them? What's your vow to them? It isn't to go out and buy them one. It isn't to give them money for it because that would negate the gift. The way that you say thank you is by wearing it. And you say, that's what I always wanted. Thank you so much. I mean, when Karen and I were married, like many of you, you got a lot of gifts. Nowadays, it's more efficient. In those days, you had to return a lot of things. Uh, and, and so we got this gift, I remember, and we kind of put it in the closet because we didn't know what it was. You ever get one of those? Uh, but it was from somebody we liked, and, and so we kept it. And then that person said one day, we had moved, and they said, hey, we're, we're coming by Tallahassee, and we're going to stop and see you. And we looked at each other, and we said, where's the gift? We better put it out because they're coming. Because we had written them a thank you note. And so, but real thanks, if we were really thankful, we would have used it and said, yes, this is something we've always... So God says... Are you thankful for my gifts? Well, keep using this gift. If you're thankful that I hear your prayers, keep praying, you see. Keep praying. That's how you do it. And then he, he also, well, we, we know all the, all the admonitions in Scripture about, about, about praying. Psalm, 60, um, Psalm 50 says, Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I'll deliver you, and you shall glorify me. He's saying, listen, your, your sacrifice of thanksgiving, your vow is to call upon me, and I'll deliver you. That's the deal that we have with God. We can't, and he can. We call upon him, he delivers. That never changes. Psalm 8110. I've quoted it a million times with you. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. That posture never changes. A new friend just uh, sent me a book, uh, and John Stott, a theologian that I have admired over the years, now passed away, but uh, was a bird watcher, and he, he wrote a book about birds and, and, and uh, the Bible, and, and this sense of hungry birds, you see, with the mouths open wide, bigger than their head, waiting for mom to fill it with something appetizing like a worm. But that's how we're to be in the presence of God. Jesus said, ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking. Why? Because we never stop being needy. And he says, if you're grateful that I hear your prayers, keep asking. And then he said in verse 9 that he's going to walk before the Lord in the land of the living. You see, it affected how he lived. He was so grateful for the gift of life that he said, now my life is your life. Now my life, I belong to you. And so I'll live it now in gratitude, gratefulness, not to pay you back, but I realize you're the one to be, 
to really be followed. John, the apostle, writes and he says, oh, it's so wonderful that we're called children of God and a day will come when we'll see him and we'll be made like him. And then he says, all those who have this hope in them will purify themselves as they're pure. What does he mean by that? He says, if you really hope that you're going to be glorified with Christ and, and, and have that life, start now. If you're thankful, if you said, listen, what I've always wanted in my life is to be free from the fear of death. What I've always wanted in my life is to be free from the power of sin. What I've always wanted in my life is to be free from the penalty of sin. Uh, the Spirit has convicted me of all of that, and I, I realize that, and I, I realize it's, it's, it's death to me. And, and so now you saved me from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. One day I'll be glorified. How do we show that we're really grateful? Not by earning it back, but by saying, this is how I really have always wanted to live. And so we live in obedience. All this is summarized by the expression that we will lift up, take up this cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. That we'll never stop desiring, seeking all that this salvation means in our lives, whether it's in prayer, whether it's our lives as we live. John Piper, retired pastor from Minneapolis, puts it like this. He says, Lifting up the cup of salvation signifies taking the Lord's satisfying salvation in hand and drinking it and expecting more. We know this because of the next phrase, I will call in the name of the Lord. I will call for more help. What shall I render to God for graciously answering my call? Answer, I shall call again. I will render to God the praise and tribute that he is never in need of me, but is always overflowing with benefits when I need him. So the psalmist says, I will pay my vows to the Lord. But how will they be paid? They'll be paid by holding up the cup of salvation and calling on the Lord. That is, they'll be paid by faith in the promise that more grace, all sufficient grace, is always on the way. Uh, let's stand and sing. to you as sons and daughters and your love endures like you said it would and my heart sings teach me the sound of your voice with the faith to respond to love you With the faith you bestow to love you. And my heart is glad to serve you as King. 
forgive the times that I am stubborn with a sings teach me the sound of your voice with the faith to respond to love you teach me to follow you close with the faith you bestow to love you and teach me the sound of your voice with the faith to respond to love you and teach me to follow you close with the faith you bestow to love you you may be seated This psalm, Psalm 116, is one of six psalms sung on Passover, split up into two. uh, First, uh, after the bread, is Psalm uh, 113 to 114, and then after, Psalm 115 to 118. I mentioned this week, as I wrote to you, that I've often wondered if the disciples of Jesus on that night, so much going on in their hearts and minds. I suspect they weren't thinking as clearly then as they would afterwards. I wouldn't have been, but I, I, I wonder if they caught it. If they caught that Jesus had said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And then they sang, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I suspect They eventually caught it. Maybe even when Jesus was with them and taught them about himself and the law and the Psalms and the prophets. Maybe he said with a wink, do you remember that night? Hmm. Uh, This meal, this Passover meal, had various elements as we we know and and rituals. Uh, I won't go through it all, but of course uh, we know there was this lamb and, and we know there was unleavened bread. The bread had the name, Moses tells us in Deuteronomy, the name of the bread of affliction. It was unleavened because they had to leave in a hurry. The reason they had to leave in a hurry because they were escaping slaves, if you will. And so uh, they didn't have time for the bread to rise. They just had to get when the going was ready. This bread of affliction, because they had been afflicted by Pharaoh. They had been afflicted for hundreds of years as slaves and this bread at Passover, the bread of affliction. Uh, the time in Egypt would be renewed during this Passover and would for centuries afterwards, of course, even till the days of Jesus. It would be told of them how God delivered them on that night when this lamb was slain in their stead and the blood was taken and painted on the doorposts. And as long as they lived under that blood and stayed there, then they would be safe, particularly the eldest son. And the angel of death would pass over them, and this son would live. And they would know that God was with them. 
And so here they were on that night expecting with Jesus this Passover meal. But then Jesus reassigned the bread and the wine from that Passover to himself. To himself. He took this bread of affliction. He said, this is my body. Afflicted, if you will. For you, uh, you've been afflicted. Your people have been afflicted. We're afflicted by sin, by its misery, by its pain, uh, by its sadness, by its grief, by its disease, by its injustice, by all the misery of the world. And he said, I'm going to take that affliction. It's going to be mine. So a day will come when it won't be yours. You won't know it. There won't be any tears. There won't be any grief. There won't be any injustice. There won't be any sadness. There won't be any death. This is mine. And then they sang. And then Jesus took the cup. It was this third cup. There were four cups on the table. Uh, And he likely takes the third cup, which was known as the cup of blessing. And he reassigns it from the blood of the Passover to his own blood. He's going to give his life, this cup, the blood of the new covenant shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And therefore, it could then, since Jesus is now taking it, it could then really be a cup of blessing. Because for him, at least as he's on that cross, it isn't a cup of blessing, it's a cup of wrath. Psalm 75 speaks of God's judgment like this. It says, for not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it's God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well-mixed, And he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. And Jesus takes up that cup so that we may lift up the cup of blessing, the cup of salvation. And he would know Psalm 116. He would would know the pangs of death. He would would know all, all of that, you see. And he would call upon the Lord even in his suffering and misery. But he also knew that at the end of the day that there would be rest for his soul that he would, in three, rise. And now it's for us to take up this cup. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body is given for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, and again, after giving thanks, this too he gave to his disciples. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Shall we say the cup of salvation? This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And the apostle says, as long as As often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray now that you'll set aside bread and juice for us. 
that we may know that we're in the very presence of Jesus. That we may call upon you even as we take this. And call upon you and, and ask that all of the benefits that Christ acquired for us, bought with his death, would be given to us more and more and more. Oh, we, we know we have that because as believers in Jesus, we stand in your presence. We know that we've been justified in your sight. We're clothed in his righteousness. We've received your spirit to live. And so now we pray that we would understand that increasingly, day by day by day. On one sense, we're satisfied always in Christ. In another sense, Lord, we know that we can grow more in grace. And so we, we plead with you. We ask and we keep on asking. We seek and we keep on seeking. We knock and we keep on knocking. Like little baby birds, we're, we're here with our mouths wide open saying, please, fill us with all that there is for us in Jesus, through Jesus, by Jesus. Father, in this morning, we know there are many in our number who can't be with us. Some, because they're high risk for this virus and being in a crowd, even outside like this, might be a risk to them. And so we pray for them that you'd be gracious and kind to them. And even in this moment, if they're live streaming with us, that they'll have a sense of your presence and, and even ours with them. And you'll fill them. And Father, we know that others are suffering on this day. We think of our dear brother, Steve Hornberger, in the hospital uh, with cancer and various responses to this cancer drug. And so we pray that this drug he's waiting for will come quickly and you'll keep him in good spirits and rest and health. Bless him, Father, and Cindy. For Matt Smith and Francis, he recovers from his spinal cord injury that you'll give him strength and bring healing there uh, for Janelle Slater with her cancer and Joel Foster and Joel Tigreen and their cancers as well that you'll be with them. Continue to heal Sheila Bloom, Father, from this uh, COVID. Father, for Caitlin Garrett and her family and Isaiah as they grieve the loss of Caitlin's mom, be with them. For Linda Pollock and her family as they grieve the death of her brother-in-law to COVID and we pray your blessing there. Thank you for his life, how he loved and served you. And Father, for all those in Lawrence suffering from this virus that you would bless and heal and keep. For all those who are in various and sundry difficulties in these days, that each of us would call upon you grateful that you hear our prayers and that we would never cease to call upon your name. Bless us in the richest sense of that word. Speak your good word upon us even as we receive from you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll take your little communion packets and if you haven't already opened them there's a wafer on top if you'll take that as we come we call upon the name of the Lord that he will satisfy us in every way through our Lord Jesus Christ 
and all of the benefits that are secured for us, our forgiveness, righteousness, adoption, his spirit within us, enabling to walk in the newness of life and enabling us to persevere in faith to the end, to love each other, even as he gifts us for ministry to one another, to proclaim the gospel as well and for the hope of glory. Take this way for Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you. Let's eat together. take the cup Jesus said this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins do this in remembrance of me let us drink together ask you if you're able please to stand and as you do let us together pray the prayer that our Lord Jesus has given to us let's pray our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's sing.
angel calling me to come and behold the wondrous cross to explore the depths of grace it came to me at such a cost where your boundless love conquered my boundless sin and mercy's arms were open wide my heart is filled with a thousand songs proclaiming the glories of Calvary with every breath Lord how I long to sing of Jesus who died for me Lord take me deeper into the glories of Calvary sinners find eternal joy in the triumph of your wounds by our Savior's crimson flow holy wrath has been removed and your saints below join with your saints above rejoicing in the risen land my heart is filled with a thousand songs Proclaiming the glories of Calvary With every breath, Lord, how I long To sing of Jesus who died for me My heart is filled with a thousand songs Proclaiming the glories of Calvary With every breath, Lord, how I long To sing of Jesus who died for me Lord, take me To the glories of Calvary. This benediction is a familiar one. As you go through the week, don't forget it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 